Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This Is Civity Radio Show. I'm Gina Bellaria. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference, and our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we welcome Gladys Godinez and Jordan Fireherm, community organizers from the Center for Rural Affairs. Uh, welcome to the show, Gladys and Jordan. Thank you for having us, Gina. We, we look forward to this. We're thank, so excited. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. Great. So uh, let's start by telling me a little bit more about, or telling me about the Center for Rural Affairs. Um, what is your mission? What are your goals? What do you, um, you know, where are you? What do you hope to accomplish? So at the Center for Rural Affairs, uh, our kind of tagline is that we are unapologetically rural. We stand up for the small family farmer and rancher, new business owner, and rural communities. Uh, we are looking to build vibrant rural communities across the across the region. That's great. And what does vibrant rural communities mean exactly? I'm someone who's in San Francisco in an urban community, and um, what what does that mean? Um, what would be a successful vibrant rural community? A successful vibrant rural community to us is a community that is welcoming to all peoples and inclusive of everyone's uh, wants, needs, desires, and also able to function as a prosperous community that's able to stay economically <laughs> viable, um, provide homes and uh, employment for its, uh, for its residents. One of the things that we talk about is social and economic justice, environmental stewardship, and genuine opportunity. Um, you know, while engaging people in decisions that affect the quality of our lives and future of our communities. And I think it's very similar to Metro Life. You know, you talk about the Bay Area, we talk about, you know, big cities. I think we all have similar goals. We just may um, have different ways of approaching it, but definitely yeah. very similar to the rest of, of our country and what we want to accomplish. Yeah, I think you're right. I and mean, I think it was one one of the reasons that I'm so thrilled that we're talking and that we get to hear more about your work is that at least for um, people who might be listening to this who do live in cities, sometimes it can feel like we're so far apart. But really, we do have the same goals. We do want the same things, and we do want to see everyone be vibrant. CFRA was formed to tackle certain challenges, I'm assuming. So what, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you are facing or that you are working to tackle? Each rural community is quite different in its, in its needs and where they are at. But between Gladys and I, our main focus is on rural inclusion and building the intercultural competency of individuals that live in these rural communities. And that can mean different things for you know, each town that we're, that we're working in. But overall, we're providing educational opportunities 
for people to develop their intercultural competency. We are providing networking opportunities to people uh, to allow them to better meet and get to know their neighbors and new residents. Mm -hmm. And we are also working towards providing uh, resources and a framework for understanding for people to come together that may be um, quite different from what the town historically represented, but mm -hmm. as a great way to move forward and become stronger overall. Mm. Um, Gladys, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think um, just nationwide, I think overall, we're all focusing on trying to build these bridges that Jordan was re referring to because of what's happening. You know, we, it seems to be that we're more divided than ever, and we really want to be able to help these communities not only um, receive the current change that's happening, you know, because in rural communities in Nebraska, we're seeing an influx of Latino and refugees and migrant workers, and we need to be able to you know, say welcome and be able to help our new community members feel like they're part of the community. And that's one of our goals is to be able to make that bridge happen within the communities that we're working in in rural Nebraska. Um, I think just in general, if we were talking about rural, you understand that you know, a town may be 100 miles away from or 200 or even 300 miles away from the closest metro city. So we do understand that, you know, that that length of time, space, and all of the rest of the stuff that happens between um, a rural community and the rest of the state may be an issue or a, a challenge that may happen because the resources are not as close as we would want them to be. Mm -hmm. um, another challenge that I think everybody faces in any of inclusion work is language. Um, I think it's very important for us to become welcoming and understanding that language Maybe something that we either a need to learn on both sides, or find the ability to communicate with those that we're trying to welcome within our communities. Yeah, yeah. And as, when I was speaking with Civity co-founder Malka Kapel, she did mention that your work is very relational, and and a lot of the things that you've mentioned here are um, certainly relational attributes, the idea of language, the idea of making connections across across uh, different groups of people. Um, why, why is the relational aspect so important to what you're doing? Uh, you, you know, why is that something that's named and focused on? For me, uh, as an immigrant and as somebody that's received services before, I think it is very important for individuals that are trying to help me build a relationship and understand where I'm coming from before moving forward with the assistance that they're um, trying to give me. So I think if I if I can, I try to give that same um, or come with the same awareness to our rural communities and not only say, okay, this is how we do inclusion work. It's also saying, like Jordan said, all, each community is different, each individual is different. So we want to get to know the individual, we want to get to know the community before we do any workshop so that we understand and we work with the community uh, to make this a long-term change. We understand that this is long-term work. Uh, we're not here to you know, do a snippet of inclusion. We're here to be able to assist our communities to understand inclusion and what that entails and how they can make that change within their communities. Okay. Okay. That's great. Jordan, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah. Just building off of what Gladys said, when you move, when you come into a, a new community, especially a community that you're not a member of, 
you have to be able to listen to the people that um, you know, the, the, listen to the people that are there that have the lived experience and that understand the dynamics of the community in order to best serve them. If you come into a community expecting to just uh, go through your script, walk away, and be done with it, you're not going to receive. Uh, you're not going to achieve much success. So the reason relationships are so important in this work is because in order to understand the community, you have to understand the individuals and the, you know, who is involved in the community, what are the dynamics at play, and how can, you know, what are the things that the community most needs in the individuals in the community? Mm -hmm. You can um, provide them relevant and applicable services and be able to um, grow that relationship rather than, you know, come in, be prescriptive, and walk away. You need to be not, obviously, not going to become a member of that community <laughs> um, completely, but you need to be able to navigate the community in a, in a genuine and respectful way in order to uh, do anything that has any long-term lasting impact and has can affect any actual substantive change, especially when the goal of the work is very much um, within changing hearts, minds, and culture of thought. It's so true. Uh, when whenever anyone walks in with some sort of pre-made idea, people are very resistant. And I imagine, especially in communities that are well-established and have done things a certain way, um, you know, it, it's very difficult to go in and, and bring maybe this kind of work to the table. Is that what prompted you to connect with Civity? Or how, how did CFRA and Civity get connected? I think the, um, how we got connected was just right place at the right time. Um, we became aware of each other, and our goals seemed very much um, seemed very much complementary. They the reason we were so excited to work with Civity is because they had a very how do I say this? They had a they had a tool that they had already developed with a script. It was something that while it had a template of use. It's something that could be um, adjusted to each community and to be relevant to each community. And the end goal was to build relationships, to bring people together, and to practice conversation skills that we uh, don't always um, don't always come to mind and don't always practice with intentionality. So the reason that we were so excited to work with Civity and continue uh, using the Civity method, as we, as it's kind of been called. <laughs> is is exactly that is because it's this tool that we can have some structure with the with how we go about our work while still having the adaptability to apply it to different communities. Oh, that is fantastic to hear. Uh, that's wonderful. And how has using that tool influenced the work that you do in these communities? I think that's. Uh, um from what I see, what Civity does is allows us to have a starting point, right, to be able to launch these conversations into bigger conversations and to be able to bring individuals together, get to know each other, but also kind of uh, give them a starting point of where they want to go from here. You know, get to know your neighbor. Okay, I got to know my neighbor. How, you know, how do I get to know that business owner, you know, that has that store in that corner where I don't, you know, where I don't go because of the name of the of the store or whatnot. I think inclusion is a new concept for some of our communities in rural Nebraska and rural America. And for us to just be able to say, you know, this all starts with one conversation and an intentional conversation. It, it's very 
um, it's not as scary. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. it's very, okay, I understand. This is us getting to know each other. Okay, I understand. You know, this is us trying to find similarities and also maybe some differences and, and just really figuring out who the people in my community are. I love what you just said, uh, that inclusion might be new for some people in some of these communities. That's such an insightful and interesting comment. And it's um, it's something I'd love to explore a little bit further, perhaps by talking about some of the specific people you may have worked with. Are there any anecdotes of that you'd that you'd be willing to share of uh, people you've been working with or someone you've been working with who maybe uh, inclusion was a new concept or it hadn't occurred to this person, uh, you know, either how to be inclusive or that it was necessary and how your work might have influenced that. In one of the communities that I was working on, and I guess I should say that while inclusion is certainly a new concept in some of the communities we work with, inclusion as a named concept, I guess, is what we should say. Sure. Because as we all know, um, small communities can be very welcoming and they can be very warm. Um, even to people that are new to the community. But there's also an aspect of who can be included and who is expected to be included. And I think that's kind of getting at more of the, the named concept of, mm-hmm. of um, inclusion, of being inclusive to people that are coming from a different um, range of experiences of your own, people that are coming from different parts of the world, and um, being inclusive of broadening your definition of what your community can be or mm-hmm. or is. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about inclusion, we're talking about really embracing new ideas and not saying you have to change everything you're doing, but learning about other people, their experiences, and kind of finding that common ground with them and learning who they are through their differences as well as the commonalities. Um, and going off of that, my anecdote that comes to mind is one of the communities I was working with. We were uh, we were talking, we were using um, another tool that we use that's kind of kind of similar to Civity and a more introspective um, tool. So whereas Civity is kind of very um, extroverted and learning how you can deepen the conversation with others, this other tool that we're using focuses on um, self-reflection and kind of analyzing why you feel the way you feel about different aspects of um, inclusion, for example. And after talking with this one gentleman for, you know, some time, um, at first he was very um, distant to the idea of inclusion, of diversity, of equity, of things like that, because he only saw them as kind of these broad buzzwords that he felt were being put upon him. But after talking more and kind of explaining inclusion the way we see it, um, diversity, inequity, he understood and um, came around to the idea of the inclusion that we were talking about. Of This is about learning about who your neighbor is and how you can embrace um, them as an individual and better your community for it. So just recently, I was invited to go to um, a local church in a community that I am currently working in, and that church invited a Mexican folkloric group to perform during their um, Christmas celebration. 
and it was very eye-opening. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the invitation. You know, the, the, the Mexican folklore group also enjoyed the invitation to be able to be part of this, you know, this part of the community that they haven't been a part of before. And mm -hmm. after that, I sat down with the, the folklore group, and we talked a little bit about their challenges and what they wanted to do with their future. And one of the things that they want to do is to, you know, either have a fiscal sponsor, become a nonprofit themselves, or just really develop in the arts here in rural Nebraska. And I was so excited because that's really something that we need, you know, we need more of. I think it's we also need to know more of the opportunities that are out there. Um, so I mentioned to them, I said, hey, you know, why don't we go to our local community foundation, see if they're willing to become your fiscal sponsor, kind of teach you the ropes of how this works in regards to grants and the arts. And we, we met with the community foundation and one of the members of this Christian um, church was a part of the community foundation and she's she was so excited. She, you know, it was a full circle type of thing. It, she was excited that they came to talk to them not only about their program, but also to be able to see if both of them can work together. And it turns out that the community foundation will become the fiscal sponsor for this Mexican folklore group. Um, and it was very cool to see this full circle and the welcoming piece from the community foundation, not only because of, you know, the ability to, of them to help their you know, the community members, but also the, just the flashback of, hey, I just saw you last week. It was a great performance. You know, we love that you want to be a part of our foundation. How can we help? And the leader and the coordinator of this Mexican folklore group felt welcomed, felt understood, and really felt empowered as to, okay, my community is able and willing to help me develop this wonderful dance group and, you know, and grow. And I think it that speaks volumes because, you know, if an individual were to go to an office and ask for assistance and that individual doesn't get the assistance, you know, it's really, it really breaks down some of that confidence that you have as a newcomer yeah. in, within your community. So I was very excited that that kind of came full circle, all due to just having that communication, having the, the ability to introduce individuals and organizations to work together and just having that welcoming. So I was very, I was very excited to make that connection between them. And now they're able to work together within their own community. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. And yeah, and you're right. The idea of the familiarity and the recognition uh, that really builds on itself. And if you're just, as you say, if you're just a newcomer to a community walking in, you don't, you don't necessarily, that hasn't, that hasn't been built and if there's no one there to help you forge that with you, then you really can feel like doors are closed. I had um, I teach at the college level, and I had a student a student I got close to a non traditional student, and the student shared with me that her first experience at her campus, uh, she went to an advisor and and said, "I'm really confused. I don't know how to navigate this." And the advisor said, "Well, that's something you should know how to do," and right. and the student felt very much like a door had slammed in her face. And the advisor certainly didn't mean that. The advisor just thought they were going to focus elsewhere. You know, the idea that the student didn't feel heard or listened to and said, my gosh, I almost quit school that day. And it was like, oh, my gosh. It, like that, that, that teeny door closed versus the teeny opening door can make a massive difference. And so it's beautiful right. to hear that you've made that connection and that it's going to grow. One of my favorite examples of kind of, 
the work we do in action and kind of inclusion in general, that kind of is the sum of all of the different components we use. Uh, a little bit of civity and a little bit of our other um, coaching and network building. And going back to how we were talking earlier about how so much of this work is relational. In one of the communities we were working, we had been there for about a year. And in this time, we had spent a lot of time networking, introducing people, um, kind of reducing the redundancy that sometimes occurs, in, especially in work like this. At one point, uh, there's someone in town that was hanging up some, um, you know, rather racist and xenophobic flyers that were very um, unwelcoming to the Hispanic community in town. And what I'm very proud of, of what happened, and I'm certainly not going to try and take credit for, for everything, but the community really came together to kind of renounce this behavior and stand with the Hispanic community. Um, without our prompting, really, the faith community um, came together. Um, different aspects of the, the nonprofit communities came together, business owners, um, city officials. And these are all people that we had been talking with, people that we had shared some of our information with, who had attended our workshops, our learning opportunities, and our presentations. And to see it come out, before we even really knew the full scope of what was happening, these people that we had been working with came together on their own to stand with their fellow community members. And it was really inspiring to see. And again, I don't want to say, like, you know, we did all of that. It is... You know, that's kind of what we mean by inclusion and what we hope to see with, you know, these strong and welcoming communities is that the community will come together to protect their own and yeah. renounce unwelcoming behavior like that. So yeah. this is, uh, that's something that I feel really strongly about and think back to when we're talking about, you know, what, what is a, a welcoming or an inclusive community look like? And I think it's exactly that. It's not just saying the right thing. It's coming together and, you know, working for your fellow community member when they need it and when someone comes to, you know, to threaten that sense of community. You know, I thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, that brought both stories, actually, but that story brought tears to my eyes because it's true that this that is the ideal of what you hope would happen in, in, a, in an ugly situation like that. And I think without... Um, I, I know you say you don't want to take credit for it, and I totally respect that people are good people and they hopefully will do the right thing. But I, but I, I do also believe, and I think, I think people have a hard time knowing how to do the right thing. Like something happens and it feels too big and it feels scary and it feels like, well, that's not right, but I'm not sure what to do about that. And, and I just, I'm just upset. I'm just going to be sad or upset about it. But with the work you guys are doing, I, you know, I, I mean, I imagine that that seeded a lot of, um, a lot of information and ideas and thoughts about how they might want to respond should something like this happen so that when it, it did, they were able to take action in a way that I think many communities aren't able to just because it feels too big to solve in a way. And that's our thought as well, is that by, you know, introducing allies that may not know each other within the community and by spreading a shared language of understanding that yeah. when things like this do arise, people will not only be able to know who they can count on to stand with them, but they'll have the same language and the same terminology to 
really, you know, be on the same page with what they mean and what they're trying to do. And that's that's a big component of the work is just the networking, the shared language, and the understanding of how you can how you can push back against things like that. Yeah, without even having to to agree or disagree, but just making sure you're taking care of each other. Just to add in regards to our inclusion work, we do uh, what we call emergency planning, um, and that really falls into place right now. We have gone through a couple of floods in our area, and some of the organizations are, you know, seeking assistance as to how to reach the, you know, marginalized populations. We, again, we have Latino populations, we have refugee populations, and that's been really our place to be able to connect individuals and say, okay, this, this, these are the resources that are available to, available to you, but also these are the volunteers that are willing to help you. Um, and, and just within the past year, Nebraska also, in rural Nebraska, we went through an immigration raid where more than 100 individuals were detained, and we were able to assist through that raid and, you know, respond to it. But it was really eye-opening, heartening, heartwarming um, to be able to see, just like how uh, the community mm. that Jordan was referring to, the Nebraska nice in this small community because a lot of the local individuals are still helping the individuals that were affected by this raid. So it, it's there's good people out there. Unfortunately, we're just hearing so much bad, you know, and it, that's just what we get keep getting in the messaging. But honestly, we have good people in small communities, large communities. We just need to be able to connect, find hope, and do those these actions that, you know, that will help our, our neighbors and our community members. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's true, you're doing some incredible work. And uh, in talking with uh, Malka Capel, Civity's co-founder, she did mention um, that like Civity, CFRA is uh, sort of a, an organization that's coming from outside a community and working to make connections and step in. Um, and you have addressed a little bit of that dynamic. Um, but I'm curious about how that dynamic has influenced the work that you both do, the idea of coming in, getting the community to trust you, and then to sort of, you know, in, work on the inclusion. Um, how has that aspect of the work been for both of you? Um, for me, I have been welcomed in, in some communities and in other communities. I have been, uh, I don't want to say tested, but you know, I've gone through some, <laughs> I've gone through some stuff to be able to <laughs> earn some trust. But I think consistency, being persistent, and then uh, just really okay. follow through. You know, if you're if you're uh, genuine, like Jordan said, and and if we're respectful to this community, and we are genuine about our intention and what we would like to help with. Um, then we're, we're going to be okay. You know, we'll make friends out of this work because I think individuals that don't agree on some things may find similarities in other things. And, and that's really where we try to work at, you know, find those similarities and, and understand our differences and then move forward. So I, I have, you know, had both spaces, uh, but I have also made friends with both. So there, it's hard work. It's not easy work. It is uh, long-term, it is not short-term, and you have to be dedicated to it for it to work out, both for you, you know, as 
as a community organizer, but also as for the community to be able to succeed. Jordan, that idea that idea of stepping in from an external space into a community, how has that been for you and how has that influenced you and in the work that you do? Well, it's kind of a, a blessing and a curse in some ways. I kind of think back to um, you can never be a prophet in your own land, or however that quote goes. Is yeah. there's, a certain, there's a certain sense of, um, I don't want to say, if you're coming into it as an outsider, you have a, people oftentimes look at you like you know what you're talking about. At the same time, they also may not trust you as one of their own community members. So it's kind of walking yeah. that balance in a lot of ways. Yeah, but yeah. you know, as Gladys, as Gladys was saying, the biggest thing is just showing them that you that you're there for for them. Um, I think a lot of these communities are hesitant to trust someone that's coming in from an outside organization to do work in their community because mm-hmm. you know why are you here? What are you doing? What's are you just going to do this one thing and leave? And no, because they want some they want stability in these communities more than anything else. That you just come in and, you know, do whatever you're planning on doing and leaving the next day. Uh, That's not what people want, and that's not what the communities need either. So the biggest thing is just finding or creating these relationships and then, you know, not just asking, what can you do for me? It's that seeing where can you fit in to help the community and then also complement what the community is already doing with, uh, you know, with what your skills and your, your strengths and what you have in your inventory to kind of give to the community. It has to be relevant and it has to be appropriate for what the community is going through at that time. And it has to be, you know, complementary to what is already happening. If you're trying to, um, you know, do a workshop that the local uh, Young Leaders Association or whatever the organization is called in that community is already doing, you're not going to make too many friends. But if you you know, add a component of something to something that they're already doing, that's going to bring, you know, a lot more people on your side and it's going to open doors that may have been closed before. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. Um, Is there any, and again, you don't have to, but is there any anecdote you'd like to share about an experience of making inroads into a community? You know, I think a common thing that I'm sure classes experience as well is when you're coming to communities and you want to talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, Not there's going to be times where people don't want to talk about that. There's going to be times where people are suspicious of uh, what your intention there is. And I, I've certainly felt this a number of times. And it's always I've always found it, at least, to be beneficial to um, take it out of the abstract and really bring it into the real world and real life concepts and how um, this impacts people. Jordan, so you're, uh, I understand that you are one of the few people outside of Civity who's been trained as a Civity trainer. Um, and I think you've addressed this a little bit uh, uh, earlier in the podcast, but how has that tool in your toolbox helped your work? Um, and what's that experience been like bringing the civity training aspect to your efforts? Having, you know, um, like I was saying earlier, a big component of my work is coming into communities and offering different training 
and offering different opportunities for people to explore and build on their intercultural competency. Uh, when I first learned about Civity and was fortunate enough to attend a Civity, um, a Civity workshop, I really saw the potential. What Civity was trying to do and what we're trying to do are very similar and that they really are mm -hmm. complementary. And while Civity is focusing on the interpersonal relationship aspect of inclusion and uh, what it means to be welcoming, um, that is something that I immediately was attracted to, and which is ultimately why I uh, attended the training to be able to administer the, the city presentations as well. And how I've used it um, in my work is it's, like you were saying, it's another tool in the toolkit. Because when you're coming in to work in different communities or working with different organizations, it's all about being flexible and giving them what they need at that time. So having the tool like Civity, where it really is all about opening up conversation and learning how to talk with one another in productive ways and how to deepen the conversation, this is a tool that fits in with a lot of especially organizations. Um, it can be used at the community level where you're trying to work with, you know, just the person walking down the street, but it can be also extremely effective when you're working with, uh, say, for example, a board that's trying to diversify or um, a company that is expanding because you're having new ways of thinking, especially in small towns where people may be very comfortable and used to doing um, things in a very in a certain way because it's the way it's always been done. And you're trying to, you know, grow your company, bring new people in. Having a tool where you can very frankly put difference on the table and have this agree uh, this agreement that we're going to talk about the difference and we're going to dig in deep and this is a safe space to have this conversation is really an excellent tool to be able to push past that kind of awkward moment of I don't want to talk about this or how do we talk about this. It's just giving people permission and structure in order to deepen the conversation and have those uncomfortable, comfortable conversations that sometimes just need to be had in order to advance, um, you know, the work that's on the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you know, as we, we have a few minutes left together and uh, I want to actually, this may feel like it's going a little bit off into left field, but I was really curious uh, about some of the language you used on your website, I guess in specific connection to how this helps you relate and connect with the communities that you serve. Um, and some of the stuff that stood out to me on the website were um, phrases such as unapologetically rural, hardcore rural, standing up for rural evolution. So I'm, I'm curious what those things mean to you and to the community and how that language orients you to the communities you're trying to connect with. I, I, I just, I, I, I thought it was bold and interesting language, and I was really curious about it. Center for Rural Affairs really focuses, you know, on, on rural, which is, it's in our name uh, overall. But also, you know, in Nebraska, it was founded in Lyons, Nebraska. And Nebraska, if you look at our map, you know, it's mostly rural land and we we are proud of it we are not ashamed of it 
we're part of something bigger than us. You know, um, a lot of people move from their small town to the university and then they graduate and then they go to a city because they want to try something new. What we're seeing, which is really cool, is we're seeing a lot of individuals that are in their late 20s, mid-30s, moving back to their rural hometowns because they want to work where they were born at or raised at because they understand there's, you know, there's, we have so many pros, you know, we have safety, we have the ability to build your own if we want to become entrepreneurs in our own you know, plight, we do. We, we can build our own businesses within our communities. And honestly, just our backbone of farming, uh, Center for Rural Affairs understands that farmers are our backbone and we want to be respectful to to who we are. You know, sometimes you just talk about it and you're like, oh, you know, I'm from the city uh, and I live here and I live there, but we want to be proud of who we are and then take it on, you know, unapologetically, mm-hmm. like real rural and we look different you know rural is different we're not just we're not just one shade we're not just one color we're not just one language we all look very different and i think it's very cool that uh center for rural affairs has taken it on in that way that we we don't shy away from it we're we're front and center and we're trying to help our communities and rural communities within the united states uh to become who they are and to strengthen their community that yeah, I uh, I appreciate I appreciate your response. Yeah, I just really appreciate the way you explained that. We're coming up to the uh, end of our conversation here together, and I want to, in closing, I want to sort of ask you, what do you hope to accomplish from this point forward with CFRA, with your work in the communities, with the people that you're connecting with? What are some of your either uh, plans that are that are happening or goals, wishes, dreams that you're hoping to take on in the next, I don't know, six months to a year? I think what we would like to see happen um, in the scope of our work as we move forward is to just keep pressing the conversation. Um, I called it earlier, um, these comfort or uncomfortable, comfortable conversations. It's these um, conversations that we all are kind of uncomfortable to talk about, but at the same time, we know need to have happen. And we want to keep pushing those conversations and creating spaces where people feel that they can have these conversations, where they can ask questions, where they can really explore the areas of, you know, what it means to be rural, for example, and not um, and not be, you know, afraid to to explore different ways of thinking. Um, as we, you know, as, as we can look at the demographics, especially in rural America, um, they're constantly changing. And we can't just um, accept things as they are and have things become static. We need to change with the times and we need to keep on evolving our conception of, you know, what it means to be rural and what it means to be inclusive and welcoming and how we can best keep our communities vibrant. Mm-hmm. And I think a large portion of that comes down to just keep having these conversations and be willing to uh, learn more, be willing to engage with others who we don't have experience with engaging with, and just keep an open mind. 
Well, on that note, I want to thank you both for joining me here today. You've been listening to This is Civity Radio. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference. And our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we've been talking with Gladys Godinez and Jordan Fireherm, community organizers from the Center for Rural Affairs. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. <laughs> All right, have a wonderful afternoon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.